Hello, everybody. This is Rick Manning, President of Americans for Limited Governments, December 7th, a day of infamy that will live, a day that will live in infamy forever. Um, FDR, back in 1941, had, after the attack on Pearl Harbor. And, um, and so it's always, it's also um, the wedding anniversary of a good friend of mine who, uh, uh, when he was getting married, picked the date because he said, oh, let's go, go get bombed. But Another story. Um, back in the old uh, days of lobbyists as an NRA, as an NRA lobbyist. But the um, it's also a day when we have rent of introspection to some extent, because, you know, yesterday, um, Herschel Walker, um, Heisman Trophy winner and, uh, and hero in Georgia, um, end up losing in a, in a closely fought uh, runoff election. He lost by, you know, we ended up losing. And, and so we're going to see, you know, this is kind of the end, the last race of a disastrous cycle for the Republicans um, who, while they took over the house, they underperformed dramatically and they did not take over the Senate as they, as they really probably should have, but they met the expectations actually of, of the, of the, um, of the establishment class in DC. I know I was talking to a lot of people who work as lobbyists in town, um, who are friends and people I know who had no expectation that the Republicans would take the Senate, um, largely because the map, the number of the, the races that were up um, worked against them. But having said that, um, there is a, you know, we, we deal with what we have and I, I wanna try to explain it to people um, and, let me just be clear. The establishment Republican class did not really want to win a majority in the in the Senate. I think that is is almost irrefutable. And, and let me give you some examples just from the Herschel Walker race, and then I'll go back in time a little bit and show you some other stuff. But I just want to point bring this first thing up and, and show you this uh, this little headline. Okay. John Thune, who's the number two Republican in the Senate, um, met with Bloomberg, sat down with Bloomberg reporters last week and talked about the debt ceiling hike, which is going to be happening you know, next year, early next year, um, where the debt, we're going to hit the debt ceiling with our national debt. They're gonna, you know, there's going to be a negotiation on how to raise the debt ceiling. They'll be back and forth on what uh, on how, you know, what trade-offs have to be gotten to be able to get to 60 votes to raise the debt ceiling. All the while, Wall Street will be saying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, we're going to fall off a fiscal cliff and all this garbage. So we're going to see all that happen in the future. But you know when you don't have to talk about it? You don't have to talk about it a week before you have a Senate run runoff in Georgia. Unless you want to have what you say in that discussion with a bunch of reporters, unfriendly reporters, mind you, Bloomberg, unless you want that to be a major issue in that Georgia election. So if John Thune had said, Republicans will be seeking spending caps on federal new federal spending because we have to get inflation under control. And one of the only ways we can do is stop this spendathon that we're on. If he'd said that, you know what? That isn't, that's, that's not news. Republicans seeking spending cuts, not news. But no, 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 no. He, he, John Thune made news. John Thune's not new to this game. 
John Thune's been in Washington for a very long time. John Thune's the person who is in line to replace Mitch McConnell uh, when Mitch McConnell finally goes away. He's the one who's been chosen to be the next, the next majority leader. So John Thune knows what he's doing. He's not, and, and truthfully, he's from South Dakota. He's a big raw-boned guy. He went to Biola College, a Christian university in, in Orange County, California. Uh, and so I, I'm not in any way impugning his character in this. He knew what he was doing. And what he was doing was putting this issue, debt limit debate eyed by GOP for overhauling Social Security, overhauling Social Security, Oh, they're going to cut, you elect Herschel Walker, he's going to, first vote he's going to do is cut Social Security. Put that, put the Social Security cut issue, which in fact is a lie in itself, but put the whole Social Security instability, Social Security, the fact that Republic, you know, the argument that Republicans are going to kill Social Security and the fear factor into this election. Now, who does that affect? In fact, seniors. Who votes for Republicans? Seniors. Who would be, dis who would say, gee whiz, if the you know, I don't know. I don't want to vote for my own Social Security to get cut. So who's it have an adverse effect on? Herschel Walker, Republican, who needed every one of those seniors to come out and vote for him. Okay? So that's not simple. This wasn't a mistake. There are no mistakes. Okay? This was not a mistake. This was a choice by John Thune to throw cutting Social Security into the election as an insurance policy to make certain that Herschel Walker did not win because Herschel Walker wouldn't have voted for McConnell, wouldn't vote for Thune for being majority leader or minority leader for that matter. So he's not eligible because he wasn't going to vote for the, for the establishment class to continue the, in power. And hence, they submarined him. What else? What other proof points do I have? Well, let's take a look. Well, let's first of all, let's see how the Democrats dealt with it. This is what the Democrats put out. Republicans double down on threat to crash economy to gut Social Security Medicare. Okay, November 30, 2022, one week before the election. Handy, huh? Handy to have your Senate, the number two Republican senator, give you that headline, which you can then, and then, of course, the you he goes after Rick Scott, but... The, the key is you can't make this stuff up. Last night, number two Senate GOP leader, John Thune, made clear that Republicans are so hell-bent on trying to force cuts to programs like Social Security and Medicare, they're willing to tank the economy if they don't get their way. Okay? I don't know about you, but it seems pretty obvious. That's probably not the issue that the campaign managers for Herschel Walker were hoping to have dominate the stage the last week of the election. Guaranteed that wasn't what they wanted. Guaranteed that... That is exactly, exactly, exactly what the establishment Republican class did want. Now, let's go on to other fun things. This is an article from, we're going to go way back in time. This is a, this is a December 3, oh, no, we're not, we're going way back in time to like a couple of days ago. This is a December 3 article, okay? This is this weekend, past weekend. Republican lieutenant governor in Georgia, Republican lieutenant governor in Georgia, Jeff Duncan, who I've never heard of before. He apparently won, won the election, uh, the Kemp election. And, you know, and so here he is. He's the, he's the lieutenant governor. He says, Herschel Walker will probably go down as one of the worst candidates in our party's history. 
The election was three days away. You can say that afterwards, but you don't say it beforehand. And, and remember, folks, here's, the, here's the, the fun part. Republicans have decided, I think incorrectly, to not participate in the, in the mail-in ballot stuff because of concerns about security. And so what Republicans are dependent upon is a large day of election turnout in order to win. That's what they're dependent upon. John Thune and Jeff Duncan could not have engaged in a more aggressive, more aggressive voter, uh, voter suppression campaign if, if they were the Democrat National Committee. Lieutenant Governor, for no reason, pops up and says, oh, worst candidate we've ever had in the history of Georgia. Well, that's the endorsement we want. Gee, I'm going to run out to the polls and vote for that guy. Did they say Raphael Warnock is the biggest threat to the nation and Joe Biden, Joe Biden's presidency is a disaster for this country with long-term ramifications that will destroy, that, have, that threaten our very survival as a nation, which they could have said. Nope, didn't say that. Could have said the inflation running rampant based on Raphael Warnock's support for high spending for, and for de- massive deficit spending and the continued fl- uh, flooding, the, uh, flooding the economy with government money has caused this inflation is hurting every single family. Could have said that. Didn't say that. Could have said virtually anything. Could talk about guns. Raphael Warnock wants to take it away. Herschel Walker doesn't. Might play pretty well in Georgia, in rural Georgia. You don't want your guns taken away, you better be voting for Herschel Walker getting out to vote. Might have been a smart one to go with. Gee, might have. But no, instead, worst candidate in history. And oh, when he gets here, first thing we're going to do is we're going to cut Social Security and Medicare. Yay. Uh, any any questions out there? I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. But now let's go to uh, a little bit of stuff that uh, is, that is a long time ago. It's in 2021, but it sets the stage. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go through this. This is from Politico, which for those of you who don't know, is a uh, kind of a left, it's a left of center uh, DC rag that... Um, a lot of politicians in DC use to float stuff about what's going on. All you need to know is it's presented by BlackRock. Um, but nonetheless, it's, I don't know if it's McConnell's presented by BlackRock or if it's uh, the the news the paper. But apparently, um, somebody's presented by BlackRock. Um, but here's what we have: first, first driving the day. This once again was on July 29, 2021. Political playbook, which is one of those things where it's kind of a tout sheet, and the political does it tells you what's going on politically during the you know for that day, and and people around the hill, Capitol Hill, kind of uh, jockey to get into this uh, into this thing. So, take Georgia, while Trump is all but begging NFL legend Herschel Walker, this is before Walker gets in the race, to run against the Democrat Senator Raphael Warnock, McConnell views Walker's complicated personal history as a vulnerability. A recent AP story detailed Walker's record of threatening and threatening and violent behavior, including once allegedly holding a pistol to his then wife's head and threatening to blow her effing brains out. Walker has since has spoken openly about having disassociative identity disorder. Um, Josh Holmes, the GOP's leaders, that's McConnell's uh, right hand political right hand man, McConnell's political right hand man, tweeted a link to the article. 
So he spread the article that attacks Herschel Walker. Writing, this is about as comprehensive a takedown as I've ever read, my Lord. Well, let me give you a little insight. I will, if you, if there's no way to prove this, but anytime somebody like a Josh Holmes is quoted in an article that attacks somebody who they don't want to be in the, you know, get a nomination or something or get in the Senate or get elected or get a post. Anytime they do that, I guarantee you that the person who, I mean, guarantee every political instinct I've had in being 40 years in this business tells me that the recent AP story was generated at a McConnell shop and that Josh Holmes is making sure that people in town read it. So nobody goes on and jumps on the fundraising bus for, for Herschel Walker and so he's permanent, so he's isolated from the fundraising class, from the establishment class. And McConnell has a better chance of getting somebody he wants to be the nominee. That's how this works. That's how this town works. Nobody wants their fingerprints on anything, but they always do, but but they can't resist putting their signature on the on the thing. And that's what happened right here with Josh Holmes. So he tweeted the article. He wanted to make sure everybody, everybody saw it. So guess what? It's a so the war on anybody who was the uh, who Trump was pushing for the Senate wasn't this isn't new. This is a 15 month old, 16, 17 month old war of the establishment class, no matter what McConnell said going into the election uh, into this last week, the establishment class actively trying to prevent Herschel Walker from becoming a senator. Now let's go to what McConnell actually said. Okay, this is uh, October 11th. There was a big hit piece on on Herschel Walker regarding abortions that he may or may not have paid somebody to get. Okay, um, and Mitch McConnell gave the ultimate non-endorsement, non-endorsement. It's sort of like in, in Major League Baseball when you know teams like uh, they're on a road trip. They've started out 20 and 35 on a year they're expected to contend for a championship. And they and the owner of the team says, I've given them, gives the manager a vote of confidence. I've given him a vote of confidence. So McConnell says GOP will quote unquote stick with Walter Walker. What he's the nominee. You don't have a choice. But no, he's sticking with Walker. That's a, that is his, I think we're going to, I'll just quote it directly. I think we're going to stick with Walker and all the effort we put in through Senate Leadership Fund. We're going to take it all the way to the end, McConnell told us. CNN in a lengthy interview published Tuesday. So, first of all, just note to McConnell staff, nobody watches CNN. So, your purpose of going on CNN was so the Hill would pick it up. I get it. It's what you, you know, it's what you do, but you know, nobody actually watches CNN. So, you know, you might as well have him uh, do an interview with the lady who interviewed Obama, who does, who does her podcast from a bath fil filled with Cheerios or Fruit Loops or something. Um, but anyway, so anyway, he's a, uh, we have, it, it's just every bit of language said, we're doing what we have to do because we have to do it. That's what stick with means. But you know what? 
we don't want to. Once again, telling everybody else who, if you're going to put money into this race, you know, eh, it's not a great, not a great race to put money into. And truthfully, it was really, there wasn't a lot of money going in uh, to help him. So let's go and see what, see what uh, the history here. I'm just going to give you one example of the history. In Alabama, um, when uh, Jeff Sessions was, you know, resigned to become uh, the attorney general, they had a special election. Um, Roy, Roy Jones was the, uh, I'll just go and, Roy Jones was the, Roy Jones, I'm sorry, Roy Jones is a boxer. Uh, Roy Moore was the nom was the nominee, Republican nominee, after a, a long fight of different people being knocked out and like, he's running against, uh, uh, against Doug Jones. And here's what, and three days before the election, the senior senator of Alabama, who was going to retire, Richard Shelby, a big-time McConnell ally, a guy who switched parties in 19, after the 1994 uh, destruction of the Democrats and switched parties, became a Republican in the House, and then graduated being a senator, a senator from Alabama, who's been the Appropriations Committee forever and has been running the appropriations process along with McConnell that has led to the problems we are having because they keep appropriating the money to fund the left-wing programs. He writes, he sides against Trump in Alabama Senate race. Okay, well, this headline is referring to the primary to replace him, but it reminds the first line, the retiring incumbent declined to back Roy Moore against former Senator D Doug Jones, helping the Democrat defeat the embattled GOP nominee in bright red Alabama. The weekend before the election, you had Roy Moore against Doug Jones. Doug, Doug Jones, a leftist Democrat nominee who never was expected to have a chance. Roy Moore had beleaguered the establishment class, um, putting, you know, doing things like uh, putting the, the Ten Commandments up on uh, the Capitol grounds and things like that. It became a, was a real thorn in their side because he kept fighting, fighting when they didn't on things they didn't want to fight about. So Roy Moore ended up getting pilloried with a bunch of allegations, which didn't turn out to have much to them. But there are a bunch of allegations that allowed the, the chattering class and the Republican side to say, oh, we can't support Roy Moore. And Shelby, three days before the election, said he wasn't voting for Roy Moore, telling every single Republican establishment person that it was okay to not vote for Roy Moore. He didn't endorse Jones. He just said he's not voting for Roy Moore. Roy Moore lost. Roy Moore lost. Republicans went from having 50, presumed 52 seats to 51 seats in the Senate. Fact is, McConnell and the establishment Republicans are as happy in the minority as they are in the majority. As long as they don't have to deal with any more Ted Cruz's and Mike Lee's who are who are a thorn in their side, forcing them to try to force them to do stuff creating taking away their power by by denying them the 
by fighting, by making them deal with the issues. And we've seen this time and time and time again over the last 10 years. Just it, it's a it's a it's a rerun. And Herschel Walker is the latest to be victimized by this. So for me, and I hate to say this, I hate to say this, but when they go off and they say it's the candidates, the problem is we don't have quality candidates. I'm going to just, here's the answer to their question. This is a senator from Pennsylvania, a guy who couldn't put sentences together, can't, can't, re, can't respond to, the, to verbal words without it having an, essentially a teleprompter in front of him. Um, a person who's in favor of releasing first-degree murders on the streets. A guy who is a um, who is in every way so far out of the mainstream for Pennsylvania that they couldn't afford to have him talk. And conveniently for them, he couldn't. He had a stroke. And he got elected. 2.7 million Pennsylvanians voted for this guy, John Fetterman. You can't tell me it's candidates. It's campaigns. And when you undercome, undercut your own campaign because you're not getting your rubber stamp vote, person to come in and vote for you, when you undercut your own campaign, don't expect a lot of people to sit there and feel sorry for you. Don't expect other people to come to the conclusion. If only we listen to Mitch McConnell. No, the problem is Mitch McConnell doesn't actually want to win. He wants to win for Mitch McConnell. But he, get, but, and he would argue that I, I've come to the conclusion that he believes that killing Donald Trump and anybody who supports Donald Trump is more important than having a majority in the Senate and doing and protecting this country from the from the various challenges we have with, a, with an out of control Biden administration. That's where we're really at. That's the real battle. McConnell's pitching it. The bottom line is we've got to we got to start playing in that playing field too. Uh, I'm going to give you one more here. Um, I, 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 there's no need to belabors the point. So, so what do we do about it? Well, first and foremost, I'll tell you what we're trying to do about it. In the past election, uh, we were working with some other group, with an, at least one other group, um, putting a network together and running some, running a limited uh, reach um, ads that were um, over the internet targeting low propensity Trump voters. Why does that matter? Well, a study came out just uh, that we published yesterday, I believe, maybe it was the day before. Um, and it was a study which showed that in Arizona, the biggest problem that Kerry Lake and, and the Republicans who were running had was while there was a lot of corruption in Maricopa County, we just looked at the numbers and without the corruption, just looked at the numbers. You know where there was a lower turnout in Arizona? It was in the rural counties. There were heavy Trump supporting counties where the in those heavy Trump supporting counties, the Cary Lake got fewer votes from of the percentage of people who voted um, in those Trump supporting counties, then Donald Trump did as a percentage. 
you know, Katie Hobbs ran ran even with Biden, Biden's numbers. Why would that be? Well, if you're talking about low propensity voters, you got to get the low, low propensity voters means they're not inclined to vote. They might not even know that second that elections exist in the midterm. They certainly don't. They vote in presidential elections and presidential elections only. And quite possibly, they have only voted for Donald Trump as maybe the only person they ever voted for in their entire life. And it doesn't matter if you're on every conservative outlet saying, you know, talking about being supported by Donald Trump. It does not matter because they are not watching that. Unless you directly communicate with people who are low propensity voters, you establish a relationship, you knock on their door, you help them vote, you make sure they vote, you help them do everything possible to make sure they vote. You inform them, you activate them. You have to do that. If you don't do that, what happens is very simple. They don't vote. They don't vote. So, and the Republican establishment and the, and, the, and the consulting class is the consulting class. They run a standard campaign and they don't really want these people to vote because they don't like them very much. So, and Carrie Lake did. Carrie Lake was a great candidate and she may have well gotten it stolen from her in Maricopa County. I'm not, that's not the point here. Point is she underperformed in areas she should have overperformed. And that's a result, and that is a function of campaign. It's not a function of anything else. It's a function of campaign. I'm going to devolve here, and I'm going to tell you a story. This happened in North Carolina, 2016. I was, Americans for Limited Government, was leading an effort to turn out low-propensity Trump voters in North Carolina, 2016. When I went to get my voter, the voter files from the people, I was told, these are who you got to get the voter, voter files from. I was told, no, you can't get people who are uh, only voted once or twice in the last five elections. That's not who we're targeting. I said, but it's who we're targeting. I said, no, the, the state party doesn't want those people targeted. And we're not going to sell, they're a bigger client, and we're not going to sell you those, those voter files. After backing, going back and forth and fighting with them, finally we, we negotiated as a slight compromise got some, got partially what we wanted. By the way, the guy who was telling me that ended up in the Trump administration, um, even though it was he was doing everything he could to block Trump being winning in North Carolina. So, what happens? So we went and we did our campaign. But I did a digital. We did a digital campaign on the other side. Our campaign was. We were knocking on doors. We were talking to people. We we're giving, and uh, we're as a standard get out the vote campaign, targeting low propensity, um, independent Democrat and Republican voters to get them out to vote. Who we had, and so we kind of we went the lowest end of the of that scale that they give us, and sorted it. And we we knocked on those doors, and we did everything we could to get people uh, something in their hand. And we had an overwhelmingly positive response. But yeah, I'm voting for Trump. Okay. We also then did a digital campaign where we put ads on on a signal about, I guess, a half million uh, people who we separately identified as uh, low propensity, probable Trump voters who the state party didn't want to come out to vote. OK, 
Okay. Particularly the guy who's running for governor didn't want them to come out to vote. Actually, primarily Richard Burr, who was on the ballot, who is a retiring senator, uh, retired this time, uh, is uh, was the one who didn't want them to come out to vote. They weren't his kind of people. So we did a digital campaign. We ran an ad on digital that was a get out the vote ad. And it was a pretty compelling ad. And I, I wish I queued it up for this uh, broadcast, but I didn't. The um, And it basically was, you're tired of people with, you know, people with loafers kicking sand in your face? Get up and vote. Show them you're, who's got the power. Don't let them push you around anymore. Don't let them send your jobs overseas anymore. Stand up and fight for yourself. Because these guys aren't going to fight for you. They hate you. So we, we ran an ad that was, it was pretty compelling and it was effective. We kept a, we kept a number of the, of the people who we would have, a small number of the people who we would have reached out to. We kept them separate. We kept them as a control group. We wanted to see, did this work? Did it not work? And what we discovered was we increased turnout by about 10% amongst over the control group simply by running the digital ads. Because the control group would have received the digital ads. They received every other input from the rest of the campaign and the turnout. And so the turnout was the turnout. And the differential, and based on polling, the people who we were getting to go out, um, exit polls showed they voted 70-30 for Trump. So the net vote for Trump that was generated by that campaign was in excess of the number of votes he won by. That's, you know, that's what happens when you actually go after low propensity voters who are on your side and you fight for them, you give them a choice and you empower them, you win. We had a dramatically reduced version of that camp of that campaign um, running uh, in, in a number of states this year, but we never could, could fund the entirety of the campaign and, and you know, the close closing arguments always the important thing and we were dramatically diminished in how many people we could reach based on money it cost money to do it that's not going to happen in 2024 i'll be damned if i'm gonna let that happen in 2024 we're gonna fight like crazy to raise the money to be able to have two years of, at, of advocacy at people who currently are seeing their country torn away from them don't know what to do maybe feel helpless and, and some say, well, the vote doesn't matter. It was all stolen from us. It's, we are going to make certain that those people are energized. And we're going to call on you guys to help us do that as this, as this evolves. But it's a matter of raising millions of dollars to do that because it's expensive. But you know what's really expensive? If we don't. If we don't. And I'm not talking inflation. I'm not talking taxes. All those things will get impacted. I'm talking about freedom. And we may lose future elections. The American public may not agree, may not, may not have a taste for being free anymore. Maybe COVID, what COVID really killed was our desire to be a free nation, desire, desire to be free individuals. But I'll be damned if we're going to lose because a bunch of co the consultant class doesn't like uh, blue collar Americans coming out to vote. And we're going to fight like crazy to make sure that happens.
And because we are going to, we have to, we have to win this battle for freedom. It is the battle of our generation and we're going to do everything we can to do it. So that's why I went down the Herschel Walker path. I want to show you what happened, how it was undermined and, and tell you that there is a solution. The solution is not to be dependent on Mitch McConnell. Okay. Not to be dependent upon the consulting class, not to be dependent upon people who make a living by placing you know, ads that were innovative in the 1980s and saying and collecting their their commission for doing it. Don't we're just not gonna allow we can't allow ourselves to be dependent upon them. Our country's too important to do that. And you know, the bottom line is now, while we're doing this uh, reevaluation, now's the time when we're gonna be going into those people who are big funders and saying, who are saying what went wrong. And the answer, the answer to the left is or of the establishment classes, we had bad candidates. We needed better candidates in the prime out of the primaries. And the answer to that, once again, is very simple answer that anybody can get. John Fetterman, worst candidate in history, ended up becoming a senator. And with that face looking at you as the future of the next two years, um, I'm going to let you go. And I uh, just appreciate all you do. Hold on. Hold on. I, I promised I would take some. I take uh, a couple of these. Um, let's see. Uh I believe both parties are going to screw us. Screw us. You know, let's find out. One of the things, Rick, you can look at is uh, right now there's a fight between whether or not the uh, whether or not there's going to be a 12 month CR or a nine month CR continuing resolution to fund the Democrat priorities for the next nine months, um, or is there going to be an omnibus that would also fund the Democrat priorities for the next nine months, or are they going to have a short term continuing resolution to February or March? where the Republican chairs in the House will have a chance to put their imprint on what the budget of what we're going to be spending for until the end of the year and have that fight in February, March between the Republicans and the Senate in the House and the Democrats in the Senate, knowing that the Democrats in the Senate need to get to 60, meaning if they have they've got 51 now, so they'll need nine Republican votes in order to pass a pass a funding bill. So as long as Republicans hang together in the Senate, and the Republicans saying together in the House, they'll have the ability to shape, reshape, at least partially, the funding in this country. And we'll be able to do something about the 87,000 IRS agents that have been funded by the Democrats. And which somehow Mitch McConnell never talked about and John Thune didn't talk about. He didn't talk about stopping 87,000 immigration or IRS agents. He talked about cutting Social Security. What a moron. I mean, just trust me. That's not a mistake. He's not a moron. That wasn't a mistake. Let's look at the next one. Uh, there's only one thing I can say about the Democrats is they stick together. They don't break ranks. I'm a Republican. I'm ashamed of a party. Let Herschel down at the top at the top of the party. Yep. 100%. What you say is, Jimmy, it's the single biggest lesson that I've learned out of this. I thought it would be impossible for the Democrats to hold their majority together with only a five-vote majority. Pelosi managed to pull it off. And she pulled it off. Um, because essentially whether a Democrat runs as a, as a conservative Democrat, moderate Democrat or liberal Democrat, they're all socialists. And so given the fact you've chosen to become part of the socialist party, um, under the guise of Democrats, you're going to be, you know, you might have to position yourself differently in district, but when an Abigail Spanberger who who ran for Northern Virginia, a Northern Virginia seat, that was uh, a toss up. Uh, when she and she kept running and saying, "Oh, I'm a conservative," I'm, 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 uh, and tried to run as a conservative, and she voted with Nancy Pelosi 100% of the time. 
you know, bottom line is she voted for Nancy Pelosi 100% of the time. Every time Nancy Pelosi needed her, she voted with her. That's a, you know, they stick together. And we, our, our leadership is more interested in their internal battles than they are in winning and saving the country. Just a sad truth. And oh, by the way, that's true on both sides. We're having a big internal battle over who's going to speaker. And that's, that could cost us, the Republicans, cost people for limited government um, dearly. And so it's not, we're a party in name only in many ways. Um, let's talk about uh, Carol. Democrats have more money, I guess. It's unbelievable how this is happening to our country. Democrats have a huge amount of a money advantage. Um, when I was first running political campaigns back in uh, the 1980s, my boss, my the political consultant boss, said to me when I was complaining because I couldn't get something, anything done with the LA Times. They were just killing us, and I was just I was really frustrated, and I and I. And I complained to the consultant, a guy named George Young, great guy. Um, and George told me something I, I've never forgotten. I'm going to share it with you now. He said, listen, the Democrats have the media. We have the money. And it's up to us to use that money effectively so we overcome the media. Well, today, the Democrats have the media and they have the money. And it's up to us to use our grassroots and the, and the few media outlets and, and sources we have, like this one, um, to organize effectively and beat them. It's really hard to overcome both media and money, and that's what we're that's what we're trying to do. And the way we're going to do it is through grassroots. We're going to do we're going to clobber these sons of we're going to clobber, clobber these guys um, by simply changing the chessboard by moving putting more pieces on the chessboard that they're not planning on. We're not going to play the game the way that the Republicans have played it because the way they've been playing it is a losing game. And we're going to play it where we're going to bring more pieces on the chessboard and we're going to drive voters to the polls in a way that nobody's ever seen before. And it is going to be, and you know, we're going to win or we're going to lose, but it, we'd be stupid to do the same thing we've done last two election cycles and think last three election cycles and think it's going to be a winner because it isn't. We have to change the game and change the way we play it. And with that, I'm going to leave and just know for those of you still with us and, and are a little depressed, God's in control. We don't get to call the ball. We just have to do what we're supposed to do. But there are very few callings as high as, as fighting through fighting for your country. And you don't always win. You know, we had it in 1776 in Valley Forge. You had a bitterly cold winter. You had a shortage of food. You had substandard housing by every imagined way the the many of the troops didn't have boots and they were all um, scheduled to be decommissioned on january 1 1776 and leave and effectively ending washington's army george washington managed to rally those troops and keep them uh in the army and he did it through a couple of things. First of all, the uh, crossing of the Delaware, that famous picture, and routing the Hessians in, in uh, Trenton was a was designed. He did it, bold move. He did it because it gave hope to his troops. Well, folks, I hope that while we're being real about what's going on, you also have hope. Because there's a lot of things to be hopeful about. 
America still is the strongest country in the world. There, you know, people are trying to undermine from within and without, but we're still the strongest country in the world. And the proof is that right now, with all the economic troubles, both here and abroad, you know where the federal foreign where foreign investors are putting their money? They're putting it into the US dollar. That's why we have the strongest dollar in history right now. Because as because around the world, they look around and say, the United States is the only hope for the world. And people can say whatever they want, but how what they how they use their money tells you an awful lot. And that tells you what the rest of the world thinks. They think America is the strongest country in the world and is the last great hope for the world. So let's live up to that. Let's live up to that. For that, I bid you adieu. I will talk to you again either tomorrow or Friday. Take care.